Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. We're here today with Emerson Matsuuchi, and we're talking about hidden movement games. Emerson, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate you being here. I'm excited to talk to you today about hidden movement. You know, we were just talking a moment ago before the show started about, you know, there's not really that many hidden movement games. It's not a very right. uh, very much explored topic, and so I'm really right. excited to get into that. But first, uh, just in case people don't know who you are, they've never heard of you, give me some background on who you are. Tell me about NASCA games, uh, where you come from, where you're going, just kind of the, the brief synopsis. Sure, sure. Uh, my name's Emerson Matsuchi. Um, I've been designing games uh, more on a serious level only for the past couple of years. So my first game was a small little card game called Tricks and Treats. Uh, it came out in 2013. And at that time, I started my own little company called Nazca Games. Uh, and then in 2014, I came out with a, a, a full board game. So this was my first actual board game called uh, Vault Robot Battle Arena. And both the games seem to have been well-received. Um, now, Vault Robot Battle Arena got picked up by another publisher. And then my third game was going to be a game called Cypher Ops. And that one got picked up by Plat Hat Games, and it got renamed to Specter Ops. And they, they redid some of the artwork. Uh, and that's sort of the... So those are the games that are currently out on the market. They have my name on it at the moment. And then I have some upcoming releases. Uh, so, for instance, Caravan uh, will be, right now, it's set to be released around the June time frame. And it may have a new th- uh, branding to it. So, But it, I don't want to mention any more, more than that. So, But I could talk to you after the show about that. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. And so Nazca Games started as a publisher. But then Correct. as your games got published or kept getting picked up, which is a really good problem to have. It's a good problem to exactly. have your games keep getting published. I'm, I'm so <laughs> exactly. sorry you had to deal with that. Um, and so now you're more of a developer. Is that right? Yeah. I'm more of a, like a design studio and yeah. a developer. And in fact, I'm actually working on um, development in the sense that I am actually helping some other companies actually develop their some of their games as well. Just coming up with uh, – another designer has come up with some – uh, designs and and just helping and I'm consulting with them to just uh, refine the design, uh, do some iterative, more brainstorming, storyboarding, and things like that. So I've been involved in that process now too, which is actually quite new for me. So this is only something I've started doing the last six months. Yeah, I was talking to uh, J.R. Honeycutt. Mm, uh, another, yeah, yeah. A different episode we did all about development what that looks like and it's a really intriguing, really exciting kind of new avenue for the game design space yeah, yeah. And, and i'm hoping that more people start understanding what it is and how to get into it because i think there's a lot of value a person mm-hmm. can bring to a game just from a developer standpoint and taking that professional look at things being more right. than just a playtester but being like a super crazy awesome playtester that also you know does the <laughs> professional stuff yeah that's well. actually fairly accurate too is that um you know the I think a lot of people, especially when I first got involved in the industry, like I didn't know that there was actually a separate uh, profession mm-hmm. for an, under the board game industry called the developer. And the developer is actually different. Since I come from a software development background, you know, I always had a different connotation for the word developer. So in the board game sense, I mean, the developer is actually a very, very critical role that they take the, the original designer's designs, 
and based on say like the publisher's uh, desire to fit this theme or to target this audience the developer then can sort of tweak the design in ways to to help the publisher meets meet its goals and also the developers have been really really good in terms of finding like little problems or little tweaks so and i've i'm more Recently, I've been asked to do some development work by uh, streamlining a couple things from designs from other designers. Uh, but I've also had my one of my designs, the Vault Robot Battle Arena. It's been picked up by a German publisher, and they had their developer work on it. And I was actually amazed at some of the things he's come up with. And he's actually what I thought was a streamlined design. He's actually streamlined it even more. So it's amazing what happens when when somebody can take a look at your game and just start yeah. going in and out and you get a new set of eyes on it and it right. can yeah. it can be really really good for a design but what i love about your your situation so you've been on the publishing side the yeah. designing side and now the mm-hmm. development side correct <laughs> and so as as far as i know you've done everything except uh put things in boxes with the packing peanuts and, and take it to people's doors. Like and you, you haven't been the mailman. You haven't delivered the game, but you've done the I whole. <laughs> the closest thing I've done was to actually sell the games at a convention. Yeah. That's well, the closest cool, thing. Yeah. So you've got a lot of experience. I'm excited to kind of get into this today. Real quick, I want, I want to ask you one last kind of background sure. question. I love asking this. How many games do you think you've designed that didn't turn out well, that you've just kind of gone, oh, this isn't going to work? Oh, geez. Uh, I mean, I have a Word document, and I think I'm in the 200s in terms of, like, the ideas. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say at this point, and this has been within the last three or so years. Yeah, probably in the last three, maybe four years. I'm I'm going to just throw a number out there. I'm going to say about 30 to to 40 games Mm -hmm. that I have made a prototype, tested the prototype, and then took that idea and says, you know what? This is I'm not sure where to go with this and I put it on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think it's it's so good for you know, especially young designers or new designers to hear yeah. that even the good ones, even the great designers don't have a very good success rate as far as like how many ideas turn into prototypes, turn into published games. It's so right, right. important to know that you're not just some big failure if if you only have one percent of your games that ever turn out. I think right. you know, I was talking to Richard Lonius the other day and I asked him the same question. He said, I don't know, man, a thousand Maybe a thousand, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, just games that he had dreamed up or prototyped yeah. or whatever that just weren't working or weren't going to work. Wow. And so he had to shelf them. So it's so right, good. Right. It's so good to hear that, that, you know, I'm not the only one that designers aren't the only ones that are making games that don't turn out well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I can go delve a little bit deeper into that where um, I took a look at my list of like game ideas and probably one out of 10, I actually get excited enough about to explore and then I would actually create those prototypes. And it seems like out of every uh, seven or eight of them, or seven to ten of them, let's say, like I actually feel like there's potential, and I start to really work on those prototypes. So if you look at that, it's probably one out of every 70 ideas turn into a game prototype that I feel is worthy of pitching to a publisher now. Yeah, absolutely. So I know, I know that might sound... Um, it might it may deter some people or it might be sound a little discouraging to have that number but i mean ideas are a dime a dozen i mean you yeah. know, i walk down the street and i get ideas and i try to jot them down so uh but it se- it just seems from my perspective it seems like that's my ratio of ideas to actual viable pitchable game designs right and i think it's also the difference between a game designer 
and a person that just has an idea. Like if you have that yeah. one game idea, that doesn't right. make you a game designer necessarily. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and so that's what happens a lot of times. People have that one baby of an idea, and that's their whole mm. world. And right, if that right. one doesn't turn out well, well, they feel like a failure. Well, it's like, well, that's right, not yeah. that's not really game design. Game design is just this constant coming up with new ideas and right, trying new right. things. And does this work? No. Okay, does this work? Yes. And how do we take this further and all that? That's the yeah. difference, I think. Yeah, and um, there was a there was someone. Uh, I wish I can um, give them credit for this, but there was a person that had said that if you have that one, if you're a designer, you have many designs. You treat it like a profession, and you churn them out uh, as, say, a company churns out products. Right. So if you want to become a professional designer, you have to take that approach that you need to come up with it consistently, that you have a process of how you come up with your ideas, how you come up with your prototypes, how you get it to a state where you can actually pitch it or to publish it yourself. Uh, but if you have that one idea, right, you're no longer, and this one idea is like your whole world, it's your baby, then you're no longer really a designer, but you are an artist, mm-hmm. right? That is like your creation, that is, you know, your passion is that one idea. But like art, not you know, people may not appreciate the at the same level as you would appreciate it. Whereas a designer is really designing for an audience, not really necessarily for himself, but for like a group of people or a certain you know segment of the market. Definitely. And I think that word consistency is so key. Yes. Yeah. If you're going to be a designer, if you're going to be a game designer, it's it's mm-hmm. not about waiting till you get motivated or waiting till you feel the inspiration or anything like that. It's saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this at this time on these days. I'm going to f- spend time on my craft, like anything else. If you want to be a professional right. author, well, that means you probably need to write every single day. Right, right exactly. You know, yeah. the best authors, they, they get up in the morning and they go to work, so to speak. They go to their mm-hmm. office, they turn on their computer, and they go to work. Right, you know? right. And, and that's what they do. They write for X number of hours every single day. And so mm-hmm. being a professional game designer, I feel like should carry the same responsibility to the craft. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I do want to put the caveat that I don't consider myself a professional game designer as of as of yet. Okay. Uh, I do I do do software development and um, I feel like I'm a little too new to the industry because I've only been in this industry for a few years now. And I've only have three titles on the on the market that I've I can actually take credit for. So, but but it's definitely the direction I'd like to go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully with some of the new stuff coming out, you'll uh, you'll take more and more steps towards that direction. Do you want to do it full-time? Would you like for this to be your full-time gig? Uh, that's a really, really good question. I still, you know, there's a still big part of my heart that enjoys uh, software development. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm moving towards app development. Mm-hmm. So, but I feel like there's a marriage between, you know, board game design and app development, especially now when you have games like XCOM or World of Yoho that actually integrates a digital component into the analog board game world, I feel like maybe that's the direction. I'll be walking that that line between those two worlds. So I, I kind of see myself going in that direction. Well, cool, man. I look forward to uh, whatever you come up with. That's really, it's really awesome that you have experience in both sides and you can kind of marry those two things together. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, let's get into it. Let's talk about hidden movement. So sure. your game Spectre Ops, it came out, was it two years ago? How long ago? Yeah, 2015. Okay, so by yeah. the time this launches, it'll this show airs will be 2017, so we can say two right. years ago. Yep. And um, man, it's it's a great game. Like it's it's oh, very thanks. intriguing. It's it's very cool. You know, there are only a handful of of good hidden movement games, and they yeah. all have very interesting themes. Mm-hmm. But I like yours the best. I like your theme the best with the kind of oh, the secret thanks. agents and all this stuff. <laughs> but in case somebody's never played it, give me like the the two to three minute. Uh, synopsis of what Specter Ops is, and then we'll jump into it. Okay. What I like to do is, um, when I first introduce people, I tell them, you know, Specter Ops is I like to call it a stealth action game. 
Now, that's definitely a homage to like Splinter Cell or Metal Gear Solid. Uh, it's, a, it's a game where one player plays the role of like the hidden agent. So they're the ones that are trying to stealthily maneuver through a top-secret military base. The other players are playing the role of the hunters trying to hunt that player down. It uses a hidden movement. Um, very specifically, it's actually using a grid-based hidden movement. So, And I like to like uh, talk about some of the different ways hidden movements used in different games as well. But Spectrops uses the grid-based hidden movement. And I only know of one other game that's done that, which is the um, it's a glue... Clue the Great Museum Caper, I think is the other one. And I found out about that after I had created uh, Spectre Ops. And uh, a buddy of mine actually got it for me for my birthday. Uh, I think this was last year. Yeah, he got it for me for my birthday, so I got to finally play it. Gotcha. So tell me, well, tell me about what Spectre Ops is. Like, what are the objectives? What are you trying to do? How okay. does the hidden hidden movement come into play? Uh, just to kind of give people an idea, if if they've never played the game, never seen it. Sure. Sure. In Spectre Ops, one player has a, a movement sheet that tracks where they've moved. Uh, there's a military base, and basically it's a grid of uh, letters and numbers. So on the top you have the columns, and then on the side you have the row numbers. So it's letters and numbers combinations. So basically coordinates. So as you traverse through, um, the hunters, as they move, whenever they end their movement, they have line of sight along the row and column that they're on. So let's say if um, you're one of the, the hunters, let's say you're the beast, and you land on, say, A16. So anything that's along the A column or along the 16 row, they have visibility too until it gets obstructed by some something. So there are buildings that could block your line of sight. If the agent is visible, then the hunters, yeah, uh, the agent player will place their figure on the board, and the hunters will then have the opportunity to fire on them. So the agent has four hit points. His objective is that there are four different uh, objectives on the board. So he needs to reach at least three out of the four of those and escape. Uh, and that's, that's how the agent wins. The hunters will win if they can eliminate the agent by reducing all of his hit points to zero, at which points they capture him, or if they can prevent him from escaping before the 40th round. Gotcha. And so this is kind of very much video game splinter cell. Yeah. You know, those kind of <laughs> ideas come to mind where you got the, the agent running around trying to complete these objectives as secretly yep. as possible. And then the other other team is just, we got to find him. We just got to figure out where he is and go get him. Right. And it's this really tense, you know, one versus many uh, experience. And it's just very mm -hmm. interesting. Where did the idea come from? Uh, it came from an episode of Cops where... <laughs> I know it sounds it sounds very really far fetched, but I was watching this episode of Cops where uh, you know the poor cameraman was following two police officers uh, chasing down a, a suspect. Now the suspect was fairly limber, like you know I, I was witnessing him jumping over fences, going through people's backyards, then out to, you know out to the front yard into the street. And at one moment, uh, the cameraman was kind of stopped. And focused on the two police officers who were like looking in all these different directions. So it appeared that the that uh, the suspect may have you know gotten away, but you know they were able to like listen for you know, some noises and then they headed in a direction. Um, and I mean they found the suspect in someone's home underneath a bed. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's that's amazing that they were able to track him down. But I was also thinking in my head, I wonder like how much adrenaline that suspect must be experiencing as he's trying to evade the police. 
So and I was wondering, like, can I? And at first, I wanted to do a video game. So it was going to be a first-person video game where one player was going to play the role of that's you know the the person running from the police, and then the other players would actually be the police chasing them down. And then a friend of mine asked me, "Well, can you do it in a board game?" And I thought about it. I was like, "Huh." You know, I took it as a challenge. So I thought, okay, well, how could I get that same kind of experience, but in a board game? So that's where the hidden movement part came in. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So what was the process of, of getting this game to be? Like the, the process you went through with the prototyping and all that stuff, and then mm-hmm. we can talk about playtesting and all that. But how did, sure. how did you really start making this into a game? Yeah, I think the first thing is that I made, I decided on two, two cops in a police car. And then I made, uh, I just took a piece of paper, like a piece of graph paper, and I just started creating just random buildings. And I had just a little pond to show where the agent was, or at that time I was calling him uh, the suspect, right? So the suspect, I would move the suspect around to see, okay, well, what, I'm not sure my exact process, but I was trying to find sort of the quote unquote, the math uh, to try to make it into a game using like grid and having buildings and so forth. So the just the process of trying to move the piece around to see how many vantage points are possible from two police pawns and the amount of movement. So at first it was all orthogonal movement. And then I realized that with you can get more dynamic range by going diagonals. It gives more options. Um, I did have clunkier line of sight rules where like you had to it was more like uh, descent or imperial assault where you you take a look at the corners to see if you know those are visible. But I thought, hey, that's too clunky. How can I streamline that down? So I got it to the point where it was only just the rows and columns. And then I built out the city even more. So and then I tried all these different map configurations. Um, I, I think I went through about 35. So I think I still have them in a closet somewhere where I have all the sheets that I've printed out with all these different variations. And I kept them just in case I wanted to go back and take pieces of like a different map that I used. So it was just a long iterative process of just coming up with these all these different maps over and over and trying to make it to where the one side wasn't didn't have the advantage over the other side. So the Spectre Ops map uh, actually went through a lot of different iterations to get it to the point. So where the roads are are very, very intentional. The way the buildings are laid out is also very, very intentional. Gotcha. Now, as much as I love the Secret Agent theme, mm-hmm. I, I think Cops the board game would have been a lot of fun mm-hmm. as well. So when did <laughs> yeah. when did you turn it into the, the Secret Agent? When did you move away from the cops chasing oh, the bad okay. guy? Okay. Well, the cops chasing the bad guy, The at, when I was playtesting it, one of the playtesters mentioned, hey, it would be cool to have like special abilities. And I, and I did want to introduce special abilities as well. So that suspect then became a spy. So I had sort of, I built up a backstory about how the spy was, you know, he was an international agent, but he was being uh, set up by his organization so then he's, you know, they turned him into like a criminal or they injected his like some false uh, information to the police database and try to tip off the police. So then now he's running from the police. But he had some gadgets that he was able to use. Um, and then at some point later, I thought, well, I really like Metal Gear Solid. It's giving me sort of that feel of those type of stealth video games. So then it started to move into uh, a different direction where... Initially, the end goal for the police was if you land in the space, 
that the, the that the spy is in, that's game over. But sometimes it felt a little bit swingy, where just one lucky move could end the game abruptly. Mm. So then at that point, we thought, okay, well, what about hit points? So that there's a certain number of times that the police need to be able to achieve either like line of sight or being able to land on them. And then so with the hit points, it was more like they were shooting at the spy at that point. And so the, we kinda, the theme kind of evolved in a direction where now the hunters were actually armed. And this was no longer the police chasing a suspect. So now it's like the, you have the hunters that are chasing down a spy. And then so it moved more gradually towards like the Splinter Cell Metal Gear uh, theme. Gotcha. How long was the game in development? Oh, it was about a year okay. under development for me from the time I made the first prototype all the way until Plat Hat picked it up was about a year. And how many playtests do you think it went through? Ooh, uh, that's a really good question. I think it's at least 75 um, because that's how many like the movement sheets I've collected. Mm -hmm. But I went through a lot with a friend of mine who is he was a college friend of mine, and we actually did it over Skype several times and it worked really really well because it is hidden movement yeah so i sent him a copy of the the board and he just printed it out and he just took two pawns and started moving those pieces along the board and then i had you know as the spy i had just my one pawn and i would move along the board and then he would just tell me where he's moving his pieces too so it worked out really well we didn't need a separate sheet and you know full board so it worked really well playtesting wise to do it that way yeah, and I, you know, I hadn't thought about it, but I guess hidden movement games can work really well over the internet because you don't have yes. to be right there in the room <laughs> necessarily yeah. for this. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, on BGG, there's a there's a couple play by forum games of Spectre Ops in there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's go into the challenges. You talked about you know finding a a, a situation where the game could end abruptly. You know, you find these mm -hmm. things during playtesting. You talked about yeah. movement. Maybe let's maybe go into more movement challenges. Sure. But what were some of the biggest challenges you faced in creating the game? Mm. Some of the biggest challenges were, I think, just coming up with the system itself because I didn't know that a grid-based hidden movement game existed already mm -hmm. with Clue the Museum Keeper. Um, so it and I all the other ones that I knew of, like for instance, Scotland Yard, uh, Letters from Whitechapel. Uh, there was another more obscure game, but they all used a what, what I called a point-to-point -point mm -hmm. system where you had a series of dots that connected with each other. So, um, And then there was also Escape from Aliens from Outer Space uh, where basically everyone was hidden. So I thought that was – that one's actually quite unique in that you know, it is different from all the other hidden movement games. And then you had Fury of Dracula, which was point-to-point, -point, but then the, informa the information re reveal was all card-based. So, so those were like the three that I had uh, thought of as in terms of the system, and I, there wasn't one that used a grid-based system. So I felt like I had to kind of start from the beginning to figure out how this would work. So that was my biggest challenge: is like to know even if it did work, like how would it work? Yeah. And so, what did you find through all the playtesting? Like, what what didn't work that you had to cut out, and what what were things that maybe surprised you or anything like that? So, oh, there used to be a helicopter. <laughs> And the helicopter would come, and it had an overhead view. Uh, but through playtesting, it thematically it was really, really cool when I had the police theme where you had your police, but if you evaded the police long enough, then they would call on the helicopter that would uh, roam around the board, and it would have an overhead view. Uh, the only problem was is that once you once the um, 
the suspect was in the overhead view. They just couldn't shake the helicopter at that point. So I guess that's thematic. Yeah, that does work out thematically. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't make for a fun game, though. Exactly. (laughs) So I had to cut that part out, which I'm hoping that I can – now that I've looked back, there are things that I could have done to to make it work. So And so I'd like to take those ideas and hopefully maybe put in an expansion at some point. Oh, that'd be really cool. Uh, anything in the game that you really, you love, that you love this mechanic or this idea or whatever, but it just wouldn't work? Let's see. There was, yeah, besides the helicopter, there was other things that I had. I had some decoys. So the hollow decoy did make it into the game, but I actually had a standing decoy where you would put, you would mark on your movement sheet that you've placed this decoy. So anytime a hunter uh, is able to establish line of sight to where you've placed your decoy, you would put your figure there, and they would be able to shoot at it. But of course, on their next turn, you know, you wouldn't move from that, or it gives the appearance that you didn't move from there. So then they can go and keep shooting at it, uh, and the only time that they would discover that's a de- that's it's an actual decoy is if they landed on it. So I really like the idea, but the wording for that car just became too unwieldy. Mm-hmm. For- with all the little fiddly rules around it. But that's something, you know, hopefully with time I'll be able to figure out a more clean way of integrating something like that. But I really, really enjoyed that one, though. And the reason uh, that I really liked that um, idea was I had a, in one of the playtests, one of the hunters moved into a position where he, saw the, where he saw the agent, but the agent actually just stood still. He took the shot and just stood still. Then the hunters just made the assumption, that's the decoy, and they moved away. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so that creates a really cool experience, a really cool story to tell. Hey, you remember that yeah. time you thought it was a decoy? It was really me? Yes. Like, that creates this really fun, memorable Ex- moment. Exactly. Uh, did, did the playtesters just, like, really struggle with figuring out how, to, how this whole thing works, though? Was that the problem? Oh, no, it's when I explained it, everything was so, sort of clear, right? But, you know, but once you put try to put the text on the card and put the rules in the rule book, you know, it kind of inflated the rules, added some complexity. So we thought, eh, maybe we'll leave it off in this run and see if we can integrate it and make it streamlined and better in a few, like in an expansion or so. One th- one thing I really love from the game is if you play mm-hmm. with five players, yes. then one of those players is a traitor. Correct. <laughs> and so not only do you get the hidden movement experience mm-hmm. but now you get yeah. this betrayal kind of experience as well where yeah. like there's a right, hidden role in there now yeah it's like can you did you just do that because you're the traitor or are you on my team and so there's like even more to think about and all that where did the idea for that come from oh actually it's it stemmed when um it was originally a two-player game when colby asked me to make it you know a multiplayer game can you go up to you know make it a two to five player game i said you know what? i think i can and I had an inkling, like I wrote in my notes early on, it says, hey, can we squeeze, I'm a big fan of the traitor mechanic. If I can squeeze in a traitor in a game or hidden roles in a game, I'll try to find some way of doing it. So early on, I, I thought, hey, it would be kind of cool to have a, at that time it was like the crooked cop or the cops working with the, the, um, the suspect or the spy at that time. So I thought, okay, this might be a good opportunity to introduce that, test it, see how that works. So that's that's sort of where it came from. Is the um, so the Colby asking me was a catalyst for me to explore those ideas. Now, one thing that, that I think any hidden movement game can struggle with, or potentially, is cheating. Since the yes. information is <laughs> hidden, then it yeah. is possible for someone to just lie and and say, "No, I'm not really right there." If they, yeah. you know, even though they are. So, how do you kind of mitigate cheating in these games? 
Oh, that's that's you know when you mentioned challenges, I should have mentioned that as one of the biggest challenges because I can't think of a way where a designer can really enforce that through the game's mechanics or with components. The probably the best way to do it, if if that is um, a legitimate concern, is to do it through digital medium. So you actually have uh, you know say an app or uh, a you know a PC-based client that will then moderate the whole game. At which point, then it wouldn't be possible to cheat. But when you have a piece of paper in front of you, it's nothing to stop them from writing whatever they want on it. Gotcha. So in other words, the best way to mitigate cheating is don't play with people who cheat. Correct, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> For the time being, yep. Gotcha. Uh, you know, one thing I love about the game, and this is one of my favorite things about games in general, is the tension that a game can create. You know, we're, we're talking about cardboard and little pieces of plastic and paper, you know. Yeah. But yet the room feels tense. It feels like... Uh, like I am being chased. It feels like they're, you know, they're chasing all these things. How do you create that tension and not only create it, but maintain it throughout the entirety of a game? It's something that was, it was my actual design goal. So I started with like the experience. So when I watched the episode of cops, you know, I was just thinking what's you know that adrenaline that both the police and the suspect must be experiencing. Like, how do I distill that into a board game? So it, that was my goal from the beginning. And so I did everything that I could to try to achieve that, trying to keep it tense and uh, giving that that adrenaline feeling, or trying to at least you know, abstract it to to an experience that is similar to that. Gotcha. If were there that any, makes sense. Yeah. Were there any mechanics specifically that that you saw were creating that tension? Were really kind of up in the the experience in that way? I think it's just a hidden movement itself that that really evokes those kind of experiences because, you know, you have unknown, there's always that fear of the unknown, right? That's one of the more potent human emotions. So by not knowing where the hunters are going to go next, the agent, it creates tension for that agent, right? And then with the hunters, they don't know where the agent could be or where they're headed. So it's, it's really the hidden movement that's, that's evoking all those emotions. Gotcha. So these games, I mean, they have a, a natural, way of bringing this tension into Correct, it, yeah. For sure, which kind of helps, you know, in creating this experience. So anybody wanting mm -hmm. to create an experience of a tense game or a tense, right. you know, thing, maybe right. I think should think about the hidden movement aspect. Even if it's not the the main part of your mm -hmm. game, even introducing right. hidden movement aspects into a game in somehow, even if it's not the main focus. Right, right. So were there any things that you really wish you had known going in like things that you realized during development or during the play testing all that that you're like man i wish i had thought about that or knew that before i started nothing nothing in particular because i, I did spend quite a long time you know one year uh on the design is actually now when i look back that's actually quite a bit of time so uh if you want to develop lots of games right you'll need to have like a shorter development cycle for for designing your games because if it takes you you know say two years to develop a game you'll be putting out one game every two years you know you're not going to put out enough to sustain like a livelihood from it so i did spend quite a bit of time on on this project i mean looking back i think that i think the things that i wish i would have done a little bit more was be a little bit more adamant about uh, the handicapping rules. I had a set of handicapping rules where, you know, if you have players, now when I look back, there are players that are going to be better at being hunters and there are going to be players that are better at being agents. And so I think this game is sus sus susceptible to uh, feeling a little swingy 
where you know one group will feel like, oh, the hunters are just completely overpowered, and then other groups will feel like, well, there's no way we can catch this agent. And the handicapping rules would allow for different groups to be able to kind of scale their experience. So if you're having trouble finding the agent, you can give the agent fewer hit points, or if the hunters are completely trouncing the agent, to give the agent more hit points or more equipment cards. So it didn't make it into the, the set of rules, but I did have some handicapping rules. So, I, so looking back, my only real, I guess regret might be a strong word, but if I could have redone something, I would have probably insisted, hey, let's put at least like a couple blurbs about being able to scale the difficulty of the game. Gotcha. And so, you know, anybody thinking about making a hidden movement game or working on one right now, what advice would you give to them in that process? Uh, Playtest as much as possible. I'm sure that that advice applies to just about every kind of game. But when it comes to the hidden movement game, um, wow, it's really just focus on the experience. Yeah, it's it's about creating that tension using using the fact that players don't know everything, you know, use that to your advantage. Absolutely. And going back to the the movement, you know, mm-hmm. are there any thinking about advice? Are there any pros and cons to the grid-based movement like you use mm-hmm. versus that point-to-point movement that are in so many other games? Oh, I'm not sure if there's any any real advantages or disadvantages. They're just different ways of accomplishing like that same mechanism. Uh, I used it in mind because uh, I felt it was a little bit more visceral, having being able to see the buildings, being able to feel like you're traversing through those buildings. So I chose that, or I thought you know, it was it was a new method, but I didn't realize that it's been it has been done once before, but. Uh, it helped me to distill that, hey, you're in a military base kind of experience. Whereas with a point-to-point, it felt a little bit more on the macro scale. So like, for instance, Scotland Yard is you know, through the city of London kind of thing. But I wanted to kind of focus in, and that's where the grid-based hidden movement uh, mechanism helped me more in that it, I was able to you know, make buildings and blocks and streets. So it felt a little bit more um, zoomed in. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. You kind of get that street-level feel with the grid-based as opposed to the big 10,000, 30,000-foot overview right. of uh, Fury of Draco and some of those others where you're kind of in the big world, so to speak. Right. So I think that's one thing for any designer to take into account is what what is the scope of the right. movement? Like how far are you moving? Are you, are you moving from street to street or are you moving from city to city? And that right. can kind of yeah. really affect the, the movement style that you use. Right. Well, cool. Emerson, I really appreciate it, man. We're, uh, you got any kind of final thoughts? We're going to go into a bonus round here in just a second. <laughs> sure. One last thing I want to get a, a, and some ideas or some thoughts from you on a totally different topic. But any kind of final thoughts on the hidden movement idea? Oh, I mean, I would love to see other variations of hidden movements, like completely new mechanisms of hidden movement. And I'm also trying to explore different ways of doing hidden movement uh, that doesn't use point-to-point, doesn't use uh, grids things like that um so i'm always i I think that it's it's an area that's really ripe for exploration so if if there's designers out there that really enjoy hidden movement you know i would i would definitely encourage them to like explore other ways of using hidden movement and creating like a new system for creating these hidden movement games yeah absolutely Uh, i just had this idea you know my my kids love hidden movement they call it hide (laughs) and seek they love that game Right. And so any any kind of experience where you can recreate that feeling of being in that place, hoping nobody finds you, and kind of if you can recreate that in a game, yeah, uh, I, I think I think you're doing a really cool cool thing. Well, cool, man. Well, Emerson, appreciate you coming on the show. I've had a lot oh, of fun. Really, I've gotten a lot out of this. You know, hidden movements not not something I've personally explored 
in great mm-hmm. detail. And so I really appreciate all the value and insight that you, you brought in on this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Well, cool. We'll, we're going to jump into the bonus round. If you want to uh, check out the bonus round material, go to boardgamedesignlab.com. You can get all the bonus material from every episode there. Uh, you can also enter in contests and win some cool free games, get some awesome uh, resources as well. So check that out. Really appreciate you listening, and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?